Well, good morning again. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Ephesians. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 1. Well, if you've been uh, if you've been tracking with what we've been doing, we've been talking a lot about uh, the church, the church in general, and we've been talking a lot about uh, uh, God's purpose for our church. And last week we talked about uh, specifically the five purposes of the church, and we talked about that everything that our church does should fall underneath of the umbrella of at least one of those purposes. And uh, and it's it a pretty simple thing to do. There's there's five different purposes. I, I would try to l- name them for you, but I don't have them listed, and I'd be afraid I'd miss one. But I've already gotten this far, so we might as well try, right? Uh, we said that the first purpose of our church is to worship God, that uh, that we're going to do things in such a manner whereas we, we worship God in everything we do. We said then out of the overflow of that worship of God, we're going to have different ministries, and we're going to serve people. Then we said that uh, we were going to also do evangelism, we're going to do discipleship, and there was another one that I've left off, and hopefully some of you guys were paying attention, you can bail me out. Fellowship, there we go. That's why Ron's my favorite back there. Uh, It doesn't take a lot. So we've got five purposes of our church, and now what we're going to do now is for the next five or six weeks, we're going to be going through the book of Ephesians. Now the reason we pick Ephesians is because... um, if you know uh, the Apostle Paul, he went on many mission trips and missions journeys over, over a span of several years. And Paul one time finds himself in Rome on house arrest. And while he's in Rome, he writes several letters to different churches. Ephesians is one of the letters that we believe that he wrote from Rome. We believe that he wrote uh, the uh, Philemon, Colossians, and then Ephesians. Many people think that he wrote uh, Colossians and Philemon first, and then uh, a little bit later he writes the book of Ephesians. If you'll compare the books of Ephesians and Colossians, uh, Ephesians seems like a little bit uh, lengthier version of Colossians. It'd be something interesting for you to look at uh, when you go home. And so Ephesians is a, is a, is a bit of a broad brush in, in Paul speaking to the church. We do have the book of, this is, a, is a, going to be a little bit of a lengthy intro. We do have the book of Romans, which is very, very, very specific. Uh, if you read the book of Romans, you know that you can't fall asleep in the middle of reading it or you'll be lost. You won't know where you're going. And so Paul gives very, very specific details as to how salvation and redemption and justification. He uses a ton of big words that you need uh, a dictionary, essentially, to read through. Now, you've got the book of Romans, which is, is very nitpicky, which is a good thing. And then you have the book of Ephesians, where he paints with much more of a broad brush for the church as a whole. So when we go through the book of Ephesians, just think that this is written by Paul, who's in his house, in the confounds of his house, and he's not able to get out to the churches that he started, and Paul wants to write them a letter. And so this is the letter that he gives to the churches to encourage them and to give Excuse me, to give them a sense of purpose. So before we read Ephesians 1, let's go to the Lord again in prayer. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul and his dedication to both you and the church. God, I pray that you would uh, use me, your servant, to feed your people. And God, I pray that uh, in doing so, that we would become more like you. I pray that our church would, uh, would be a bride that you would call yourself uh, proud to have died for. And God, I pray that when you, uh, when you do send your son Jesus to return, that we would be found 
busy doing the things that you think are important. And so, God, as we unpack your word this morning, please, uh, please help us to have uh, ears to hear and eyes to see. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 says this. Paul, an apostle of Christ by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a very common way that, that Paul starts out most of his letters. One thing that's a, a bit of a nuance that is something for you to think about. Many of the early manuscripts that we have of the New Testament don't have in Ephesus. It, many of them say to the saints in, and then Ephesus is left blank. And so some people, some scholars, people much smarter than I am, they believe that this book of Ephesians could have been a chain letter which Paul wrote to one church, and it was meant for this letter to be circulated amongst other churches. Um, that's okay. I'm good with that. This letter is written in such a way that it's not, it's not like first and second Corinthians where it's specific to, uh, sins that are specific in the church, but this letter is more broad. And if, if it was a letter that was meant to be circulated to all the different churches, it would be good if they all, if they all adhered to this book of Ephesians. So one of the really interesting things about this book of Ephesians, of Ephesians is that there's six chapters and Paul spends three chapters giving you uh, what we would call theology or he spends three chapters telling you about God and his greatness and his goodness and then he spends three chapters applying all of it to your life and telling you how you should live as a result of the first three chapters. I never would have figured that out unless somebody had told me. So Paul splits his book up into two sections. One is, is the why, why you should live a certain way. And the next section is how you should live as a result of the why. Really interesting for you to look at that sometimes. So the next, uh, the next three weeks for you ought to be a little easier than the last few weeks because they're all why you should be doing what you do. And then you should hold on to your britches in the next three weeks because that's where the rubber meets the road. And that's going to be a little more intense on our, on our personal lives. But first he tells you why. God never gives you big commands before telling you why you should do them. When God gives the Ten Commandments, he doesn't just say, here's Ten Commandments, I want you to do them. Uh, Look at the Ten Commandments next time. He says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery in Egypt. He gives grounds for a reason why you should obey him. Then he tells you the Ten Commandments. And so in Ephesians chapter 1, be prepared for a lot of great things as to why you should obey in the latter part of the book. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So we should praise God the Father because he has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. He doesn't say that he's given us a lot of spiritual blessings. No, he's given us every spiritual blessing. And he's going to flesh this out in the rest of the book. It says in verse 4, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Think back to uh, Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 2. I don't know if we've talked about this before, but when God creates Adam and Eve, he creates them perfect. He puts them in the garden, and then he gives them three commands. One of those commands is to worship and obey God. And so man's purpose in life, if you've ever been searching for your purpose in life, your purpose is to worship and obey God. And so Paul goes back here to your original purpose. Your, your, verse 4, 
He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So you're supposed to be set apart for God. That's what it means to be holy, to be set apart for God. And then you're supposed to be blameless. God's also going to tell Abraham, walk before me and be perfect as I am perfect. So your job as a Christian, one of your blessings is that you are set apart for God and you're blameless. Think what of a blessing it is. You remember when you were a kid and you and your brother or you and your sister got called into mom and dad and they said, who did this? Who, who shot the cat with a BB gun? It was a blessing if you weren't the one who shot the cat with the BB gun, right? And so for you to be found blameless is an incredible blessing. If you went to court and you were found blameless, you would think it was a blessing. Now, if, um, Let's keep going. We don't have time. We don't have time to go there. So God chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So it was God's pleasure and will that you be adopted to be sons of God. And so just put yourself in that same seven-year-old position. Imagine that you're in an orphanage. Your, your mother and father uh, may have passed away at a, when you were a baby, and now you're in an orphanage and you don't have a, a, a mother and a father. And God comes in, and he looks down. He, I don't know how, how orphanages work exactly, but at some point you have to get chosen as a child to be pulled out of the orphanage and go to a family. And so there has to be some time where a family comes in, they observe all the children, They scratch their chins, they talk about it, and then they pick the little girl in the blue dress or the little boy in the blue jeans and the tennis shoes. And so at some point in your life, one of your spiritual blessings is that God reached down and he said, I'll take him or I'll take her. Now, there's a huge debate going on within the Southern Baptist Convention as to, uh, and we're not going to go there this morning. I'm going to tell you briefly uh, my thoughts on it. But there's a big debate, if you've kept up with it, about uh, Calvinism versus Arminianism. And the whole debate is on whether did God choose you and predestine you or did you choose God and you chose to come to him. Right? Some people will be far on one side and they'll say that no, you didn't have a choice to be what you are or to, to be a follower of Christ. God chose you. And then the other side of the court, there's people that say no, we, we freely made a decision to be followers of Christ. And if you'll, if you'll just be honest for a second, you'll recognize that there is a bit of a dilemma in Scripture. Sometimes you read Scripture and it looks like God chose you. There's verses that say you've been predestined and you've been chosen. And then you keep reading in the Scriptures and there's some Scriptures who say, for whosoever will come to Christ. And so there's a, there's a bit of a dilemma there. And uh, keep that in the forefront of your mind. We're going to talk about it after probably verse 11 or 12. Just know that's going on. And we're going to deal with it a little bit. So, you've been chosen before the creation of the earth to be holy and blameless. And then he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. And so you, that was verse 6, you have been chosen by God and you have been adopted by God. And it has been his pleasure and his will to do so. 
And it also says that this happened in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he, this is verse 8. Now I'm skipping ahead, forgive me. This writing is just so doggone small, you can't keep up with it, can you? So you were chosen to be holy, you were chosen to be blameless. Then he predestined you to be adopted as his sons in accordance with his pleasure and will. And so it's not like God was given a court order to adopt you as a son. It was his pleasure to adopt you. He got together with the rest of the Trinity and he maybe talked about you. And he thought this thing out and he said, I'm going to choose that person. And so when you do get maybe a little bit down in the dumps, maybe when you do get depressed, you can always look to the scriptures and you can see that if you're a child of God, if you've put your faith in Christ, then God chose you. You're not an outcast. You're not different. God readily brought you into his family. And when you do seem like the world is against you, just know that God brought you in. Then he says this, verse 7. In him, this is in Christ, we have several more spiritual blessings. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And so you, as a child of God, when you were chosen and when you were adopted, God gave you several things. He gave you forgiveness of sins. I asked earlier in a sermon if any of you remember when you were lost and how you just felt burdened with sin and burdened with sin. And then when you gave your life to Christ, when you put your faith in his death, burial, and resurrection, he set you free from all of your sin and you were forgiven. And you remember like there was a weight lifted off of your chest. Oftentimes repentance is the same way. Sometimes a child of God will will get into sin. Then they will... Will, will become convicted. They'll seek repentance. And they also, that's like that weight of sin is lifted off your chest. And so one of your spiritual blessings in being a child of God is that you have forgiveness of sins. But it's not like, um, let's say that you have a child who, who grows up, goes through his adolescent years, and in his early teenage years, he joins this just really nasty gang. And so now he's in this gang, and you just don't know what to do. It seems like he's just gone. Well, God doesn't just stay over here and say, okay, that boy uh, wants to be a Christian, so now I'm going to forgive him of his sins. It's different than that. You're not just forgiven of your sins, but you also have redemption. You guys familiar with when you take a coupon to the store, they give you money off of your, your bill? Well, the coupon or the, the store that you have the coupon for is buying that coupon back from you. And that, so redemption, redeem, means to buy something back. And so that person is over there, and they're in their sin, and they're in all of these awful things. And God doesn't just say, you're forgiven. He goes over there, and he gets them, and he buys them back from all of the junk that they're in. And then he brings them into his family, and now they're a child of God. Go back and read the book of Hosea if you want a couple more illustrations. Hosea... Hosea is told by God. I had to make sure I had my names right. Hosea is a prophet. He's told by God to go marry this woman who's a prostitute. And so over there is a woman in prostitution. And Hosea is an example of God just not forgiving someone, but he goes and he gets them and he wraps his arm around them and he brings them back to where he is. See, Christianity isn't just that you've been forgiven. 
It's that the slate is wiped clean and you're brought from where you were to a new place now. And so anything that you've ever dealt with in your life, if you have a, a history of, of abuse, if you have a history of your parents being mean to you, if you have any sort of thing that happened to you in your past and your identity is wrapped up in it, when you come to Christ and he adopts you and brings you into the family of God, you have been redeemed from all of that and now you are someone different. You are not that old person anymore. Now you have a new identity and that identity is in Christ. That's what's so great about the gospel. That's what people are longing for because they don't want to be in all of the junk that they're in. They want to be not just forgiven, but they want to be set free and they want that new identity and that new identity is Christ. And that's one of the spiritual blessings that you've been given. So when you are down in the dumps, and surprisingly, depression is incredibly high amongst Christians. So when you go that route, when your mind starts telling you that you're, you're not worth anything, you are. You've been chosen by God. You've been adopted by him. He has, he has bestowed on you incredible grace And he's also forgiven you of your sins, and he's taken you from one place, and he's put you into another place. Pretty good news, huh? He's he's telling you all this for a reason. He's going to set the hook in a minute. This is to catch you. So, in him, this is verse 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Have you ever lavished something on someone? I, I don't know that I have. I don't know if we use this word very much. But when you lavish something on someone, you're being overly and abundantly generous with them to where it's almost just silly. And that's the kind of grace that God gives to you. He doesn't just pour out a little bit to you. He lavishes it on you. Verse 9, this is another blessing. And he, Christ, made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment. And so another spiritual blessing that you have in Christ is that you have the ability to know the will of God. If you were Job which we just studied Job in the Sunday school literature. If you were Job, the overarching question in your mind would be, God, what are you doing? I don't understand. If you have all your children taken from you, all of your animals taken from you, all of your wealth taken from you, if it's all gone one day, your question is, God, what's going on here? What are you doing? And Paul tells us that you, as a child of God, who've been brought into his family, you get... You get the inside scoop of what's going on in dad's mind. And this is it. This is the will of God. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, Christ. And so when you as a child of God go through anything in your life, you don't always have to wonder what's going on. If something disastrous happens and you think, I have no idea what God is up to, you can know that he is bringing all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. One of the things we're talking about uh, in Wednesday night Bible studies, a Wednesday night prayer meeting, which you should come to, which we also are offering things for your children. You should be there. We're talking about why bad things happen. 
Sometimes bad things happen, and sometimes we as Christians are taken from this earth so that the fame of Christ can be more widespread. Sometimes something bad happens to someone good because God knows that sometimes people might not come into church or come underneath of the gospel any time other than your funeral. And so maybe someone close to you does die. Maybe it took that for someone to realize that they haven't dealt with the sin in their life and they can be set free from it. And so maybe sometimes those things happen that we don't understand so that the the fame of Christ can be spread. Listen, some of you guys work in construction. Some of you guys work in the legal field. You do all sorts of other things, and you know as well as I do that you work with people who don't want to hear the gospel. But if you died, they would come to your funeral, and they would gladly sit and listen out of respect for you. And so maybe sometimes those things happen so that Christ can be more known throughout the world. So, when bad things happen, you can know that Christ is bringing all things on heaven and earth together under him. Then, verse 11, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Now, I understand that Paul is is incredibly wordy sometimes, and it's difficult to understand everything that he says. But here, he clearly says that in him we were chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So let me tell you how I understand this whole thing. So what does the preacher think? Does he think that you've been predestined and you don't have a choice? Or does he think that you have free will and that God doesn't play a, play a role? Whoops. Got me. If I, pulled, if I pulled a coin out of my pocket, which I don't have, but just pretend... I don't have a coin at all. Man. Let's just pretend I have a quarter. The quarter would have two sides, wouldn't it? If I flipped a coin and put it on my hand, I would either say heads or I'd flip the coin and I would say tails. And you guys are are readily understand that sort of terminology. Uh, who Who kicks off and who receives in a football game is determined by a coin. Well, we don't say that, no, it's, it's heads or tails, and, and one side is right and one side is wrong. We're, we're looking at two sides of the same coin. I believe that this whole predestination versus man's free will thing can be summed up by, and this is incredibly simple, and some of you smart people may frown at me, but I think we're looking at two sides of the same coin. Uh, a, a, a guy explained it to me this way. He said that let's pretend that, uh, that we have, uh, if you're familiar with the terminology, you'll understand this. We have election written here, or we have salvation written here, and, uh, and it's a plaque. And then if you go this way, there's a door right here, and the whole world is on this side of the door. And in order to be saved, you have to walk through the door. And so as you go to walk through the door, there's a plaque on the top of the door that says, For whosoever will, be saved. And so men walk through the door... For whosoever will. And then you walk through the door and you're with your, your brothers and sisters in Christ. And you turn around and look and the plaque on this side says chosen before the foundations of the world. And so it seems that, that these two things are incompatible to us as humans. But somehow God has the whole thing worked out. There's a verse in Deuteronomy that, uh, that I always like to cling to and it's not a cop out. It says that uh, there are mysterious things that belong to God. 
And there are secrets that he doesn't explain to us. And I think your salvation is one of those things. Um, the book of, oh, I just forgot. My wife will remind me as soon as we get in the car. Uh, there's, a, there's a verse in the scripture that says the angels long to look into things like salvation. That it is incredibly intriguing to them. And so if you have an angel who, who watches creation... And they watch God do all of these magnificent things throughout history. And they long to look into something like salvation. It must be incredible. And don't think that this guy that you found is going to be able to explain it. If it amazes angels, I'm probably not going to be able to explain it. So, but there's my, there's my thoughts on your whole predestination versus free will. I think that in a, in a good way that they mesh together. And that it would seem contradictory to you if I were to... To tell you everything that I believed about each one. But I believe that God's big enough that he can, he can work things out as well as he wants to. And, uh, and I hope that doesn't seem like a cop out. Drop by the office. We'll talk about it till you're blue in the face. But I refuse to argue about it. And while we're talking about it, I think if our Southern Baptist Convention divides over this issue, it'd be a tragedy. So I think there's bigger fish to fry than that one. Anyways, so you were chosen having been predestined according to the plan. Of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Verse 12. In order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And so you who heard the gospel and believed were saved. The gospel is this. Jesus Christ is the son of God. He came to earth, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross for your sins. Then upon di- after dying on the cross for your sins, on the third day he rose again, and now he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. You put your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you are forgiven of your sins, and you inherit those spiritual blessings. Then you don't just have to wonder if, if the gospel has been effective in your life. He gives you a seal that says, yes, you are authentically a Christian, that this person is authentic. And what's the seal? The Holy Spirit. So when you are talking to people who maybe have left the church in years past, don't comfort them and that they walked down an aisle one time. Don't comfort them and that you sent them to a Christian school. Don't comfort them in their baptism. Comfort them with the seal that says whether or not they are a true Christian. And that is the mark of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is not in someone's life, they are not a believer in Christ. So is my, is my whoever... Is my son, is my daughter, is my mother, is my grandmother, are they going to heaven? We believe that you can't go to heaven apart from being a believer in the gospel, right? Right. I'll answer for you. Right. We do believe that. Well, if that person doesn't have the Holy Spirit in their life, they are not then going to heaven. Now, you cannot have the Holy Spirit in your life and live a continual life of telling the Holy Spirit no. It just doesn't work out that way. Okay, And so when you go to someone's funeral and they say, that person was a good person, a red flag should go up. 
if they say that person was a spirit-filled believer in Jesus Christ, now you're talking. If someone tries to comfort you saying that person made a profession of faith, you should check that profession of faith with did I see the Holy Spirit doing things in their life. You can make anyone and you can talk anyone into making a profession of faith. Listen, I did youth ministry for 10 years. I can take a group of kids to to the woods and out to a camp, and I can spend a week with them, and then the last night I can light a campfire, and you can get those kids to say anything that you want them to say. Truth be told, the same thing can happen with you too. You can make a one-time, off-the-cuff statement of anything. But is the Holy Spirit in your life and active in your life? That's the proof of your salvation, not that you did something one time. Going on. And, and for the record, that should be encouraging to you, not discouraging. Uh, next week, I'll talk about, I use Ephesians chapter 2 when I share my testimony often, and I'll share with you why that should be encouraging, how you can, you can use that to encourage you. But that's next week. For this reason, this is verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now listen to this. Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Have you ever spent a week reading your Bible? Have you ever spent a week doing your devotions and you don't feel like you're any closer to Christ than you were in the beginning of the week? Like you just don't understand anything that's written there? It would be wise for you, I pray this for you, that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. If you'll listen when I pray sometimes, I'll pray that God would open our eyes and open our ears so that we can understand his word. God often keeps great things about him veiled to, to us and to, let's say, outsiders. And it takes a spiritual unveiling, which you get in Christ, to understand God's word and to understand the things that he's saying to you. Christians and lost people read the Bible differently, okay? If your lost friends have ever read the Bible and they don't understand it, there's a reason why. Because the Holy Spirit isn't actively revealing things to them. And you may think, this guy's crazy, but it's true, I promise you. So, Paul prays that God would give them a spirit of wisdom and of revelation for the purpose of knowing him better. I pray also, this is verse 18, I pray also... That the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. And so there's a couple things going on here. He wants you to be enlightened so that you can know him better. Right? Uh, I, would, I would tell you that if Christians knew Christ better, there would be far less problems in churches. Let me give you an example. If Christians knew Christ better... In the late 80s, early 90s, sometimes as late as the late 90s, there was this big problem in churches about music. There was this new music coming, this contemporary music. And there were Christians who liked old music, and there were Christians who liked new music. And they were at odds with each other. There was This may hit home with some of you guys, because I know this is, this is recent in our church. Um, why do those young hippies want to put up a projector screen? We got the words in the book. Why do they have to be up on the screen? You guys are like, yeah, he's about to get in over his head, but listen, hear me out. <laughs> if, if we as a church knew Christ better, 
this would be the argument. My son's getting evicted from the nursery. That's not good. (laughs) If we as believers knew Christ better and we were all mature believers in the faith, younger Christians who wanted the hippie music would say, you know what? That older group, they worship God through reading hymnals and they don't like the the screen because it's a stumbling block for them. And so, you know what? We probably shouldn't do it. And that same old group would say, you know, it's really neat that God sees fit to save all these young hippies. And for some reason, they really worship God well through this new music and through having words on a screen. And so they should say, you know what? Maybe, maybe we should give up these words on a screen so the younger generation can worship in a way that is fitting to them. And so then the argument isn't that the hippies want the screen and the older group doesn't. Now it's the older group wants the screen to benefit the hippies. And the hippies say, no, we don't want the screen because it bothers you. And if we all knew Christ, that's what our arguments would look like as opposed to me getting what I want. And you only get that through when people grow in Christ. And that's why Paul wants them to know more about Christ. That's why he wants them to have wisdom and revelation. Because if you knew Christ, the color of this carpet wouldn't matter to you. Because you know Christ. And that makes all the difference in the world. Now, we ought to close with that. That turned out pretty good. (laughs) Then he says this. There's a couple more things. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. This is verse 18. So that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Now, we use hope in a way different than the rest of the world uses hope. Most of the world uses hope around Christmas time. I hope I get a new rifle. I hope that my wife likes what I gave her. I hope that I get a go-kart for Christmas. We, we hope in a lot of things, and we use it almost like a wish. Hope, biblically speaking, is different. You put your hope in something that you know is certain. So your hope is in Christ. Like I say, I hope that chair holds me when I sit down, and then I sit in it, and my hope is proven true. One day your hope is going to give way to sight. Your faith is going to give way to sight when you get to see everything. But hope is that you're, you're looking forward to something that you know is there. Then he says, so I pray that you're enlightened so that you may know the hope which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, verse 19, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And so he wants you to know the hope to which you've been called. And he wants you to know the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints. And he wants you to know his incomparably great power. So we talked about hope. Now you've got the riches of his inheritance. In the Old Testament, when Joshua goes into the promised land, they fight for the promised land. They divide all the land up. He only divides it 11 ways. The Levites, the priests, they don't get any land. Do you know what they get? They get God. They get the chance to serve him in a more intimate way than the nations around them. And as a result, they don't get any land. They don't get any physical benefit because all of their benefit is that they get to know God in a better way. Would you rather have all the land that's given out or would you rather be able to go into the tent of meeting and and share a meal with God? And he says, if you realized what you should realize, if you were, if you knew Christ better, one would be way more appealing to you than the other. 
So you get the riches of his glorious inheritance. Who cares about all of the created things that you could be given that all of your friends have if you have the creator? Right? Y'all are going to be eating lunch and you're going to be like, oh, I get it now. I get it. I don't need all those things because I have the one who created them. I'm telling you. Then you also, and we're almost done. This last section is quick. It says that he also wants you to know, verse 19, his incomparably great power for us who believe. So you, as a believer in Christ, have an incredibly great power inside of you. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. The third person of the Trinity, God himself, is living inside of you. And as a result, you don't have to live some lukewarm pansy life, you have a power inside of you. And it says this, this is in the middle of 19. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And so the same power that God used when he raised Christ from the dead, when he took him from the dead, raised him up, seated him in the heavenly places, the same power that it took to give him all authority, power, and dominion is in you. And do you know what I hear mostly out of Christians? I can't do it. You've been given all that power in your life. And it's like Christians are sitting on their hands afraid to do anything. I can't pray. I can't teach. I can't, I can't tell my friends about Christ. Well, you can Because it's not you. It's God doing it in you. You've been given his power. You merely need to be obedient and do it. Think about that. Stew on that this week. If you're not already actively doing something with your devotion time, spend some time reading this. That he's given you these three things. He wants you to know hope. He wants you to know the riches. And then he wants you to know the power. And look at how great that power is. And then think about all the times that you squeam around and say that you can't do something. And know that you have the power inside of you, but you're like, no, I can't do it. It would be like if you had your, your sports car stuck in a ditch and a farmer came by with his tractor and he had chains on the back of it. And he was like, I just can't do it. I can't. I can't pull your, your, little, your little Mustang out of the ditch. I'm so sorry. But he's got a huge dual-wheeled tractor with it that's made to pull like a 40-foot wide plow. And he says, yeah, I just can't do it. You would think foolish of him. But we, as Christians, do the same thing. We have all of this power, but we don't put it to good use. So, in closing, he says in 23, uh, let me go back to 22. He says, And God placed all things under Christ's feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church. So Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. So this church is Christ's body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And so when our church feels led to do something and we get together in a meeting and we say, we feel like God has called us to this, to do this, but we can't just know that we are Christ's body and Christ was raised from the dead 
and he's been given all power, all dominion, and all authority. And so we, as his church, as the body, when we say that we can't do something, we are belittling everything that Christ is in every possible way. Because the reality is, is that we can. And we can only do it through Christ and through the power that he offers us. If your faith is in me, bad. If your faith is in Jonathan as our music director, bad. If it's in Betsy's ability to play the piano, bad. But if your faith is in Christ and you've put your hope in him and you believe in him and you have given your life to the gospel, then you have all of those things. You have the hope, the riches, and the power to do absolutely anything that he calls you to. So when we come to our time of invitation... Maybe you have been squandering the things that God's given you. Maybe you thought God gave you something and you didn't have it to begin with. Maybe it would be wise during this time of invitation for you to examine your life and look and see how active the Holy Spirit is in your life. If the Holy Spirit isn't active, if the Holy Spirit is absent, then you may be lost. But... The good news is is that Christ wants to redeem you and forgive you and all of those things. And he wants to give you everything in Ephesians 1 if you will come to him and ask. Sound good to you? Let me pray for us and then if you'll stand for our closing song. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, if there's anyone who doesn't or has never experienced your forgiveness and your redemption, if there's anyone who's never experienced the seal of the Holy Spirit, If there's anyone who has never experienced the power that you give us into our lives, Lord, I pray that you would convict them this morning. I pray that they would would indeed recognize that. I pray that they uh, they would repent of their sins and ask you to save them. God, I pray for the rest of our church. If there's anyone here who has led a lifestyle saying, I can't, I can't, I can't, I pray that you would give them a spirit of power and of boldness so that they realize that it's not them, it's Christ in them, and he can. They just have to be willing. Lord, I pray that as we move forward into the new calendar year as a church, that you would give us uh, an incredible mission and an incredible boldness so that we can do anything that you call us to do because it's you who do it. We are merely your a representation of your body on Christ on earth. And so, God... Uh, work in us and work through us. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for coming. And uh, you can stay standing. Uh, Brother Bob has... Uh... All right. Unanimous again. That's two unanimous votes in a row for our church. We're on a roll here. Uh, we voted unanimously to affirm the, uh, the teachers and, and the list that was given out before. Uh, thank you guys for coming. I uh, appreciate your, uh, I was going to say your unity. That's the word I was looking for. I almost made up a word on you. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, look forward to seeing you guys next week. Look forward to seeing some of you guys at the Ice Cream Social. I hope that the Lord blesses you, and I hope that you will spend some time uh, in Ephesians as we're going through it, uh, just stewing on it and thinking over it and uh, recognizing the great things that we have in Christ uh, within Ephesians chapter 1. Brother Bob, would you dismiss us in prayer? Gracious and all, I'm glad to have the fall. I'm grateful.